well, hey, this is Eric. I'm one of the ministers at Regency. I just wanted to thank you for checking out this message. We're praying that God uses this message to draw your heart closer to Him. If you're ever in the Mobile area, we want to invite you to join us for worship on Sundays at 10 a.m. If you'd like to find out more information about Regency or to check out some other resources, visit our website at regencycc.org. So I noticed just the other day on my Facebook memories that it, it showed me a post from, uh, from all the way back in 2007. And the post was a comment that I made on Haley's Facebook page. And I was, I had this uh, old little laptop that I was trying to transfer some files on. And it actually said, as I was trying to copy the files over, it said that it was going to take 44,000 days to copy the files. So I commented on her Facebook page about how that was going to take 44,000 days. And then I thought it was time for us to buy a Mac, an Apple computer. And since then, uh, that's what we have owned. I remember for a long time, I always enjoyed going to eat steak, but I didn't really enjoy paying for steak. And so I'd go to the steakhouse and I would get the cheapest piece of meat, generally the top sirloin, not chopped steak. Not that, I'm not that cheap, folks, but I'd go for the top sirloin until one time we decided to splurge. And I got the ribeye. And now I just can't seem to want to eat that top sirloin anymore. I don't know if you understand what I'm saying. The point I'm trying to make is, and I think you'll understand it, once you've experienced something really, really good, something amazing, it's really hard to go back to something that wasn't near as good. When you've had something that's really genuine and authentic, it's hard to really settle for the cheap stuff. It's hard to settle for what's fake. So last week, Andrew started us off in this series that we're calling Heaven Came Down. We want to spend this time in December thinking about how Jesus entered into the world and how much that changed the world. In the last couple of years, we've looked at the narratives in Matthew and Luke, and this year we decided to do something a little bit different. We want to look at how John describes Jesus entering into the world because John has a really different take. John doesn't begin with the birth story. John begins all the way back in the beginning. And as you open to John 1, it's written in such a way that your mind would instantly jump to Genesis chapter 1. And that's what I want us to do this morning. I want us to read our text for this morning. It's found in John 1, verses 4 and 5, where John writes, In Him, Him being the Word, the Word being Jesus, in Him was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. I want us to spend a little bit of time this morning thinking about what does this mean. And as, as we think about this, I want to take your mind all the way back to the very beginning, back to the book of Genesis, where it says, in the beginning. And in the beginning, God creates two things. He creates light, and then He creates life. And as He creates both of those, part of His creation is this man and this woman. We know them as Adam and Eve. And God takes Adam and Eve creates them, and breathes into them light and life. That there is something inside of them that is living, but there is this other part inside of them that is light. It's this revelation, it's this knowledge of what God wants uh, of them. And so he places them in this garden, and it, it had to have been beautiful. It had to have been like a paradise. And they're living in the garden, and life is beautiful for them. 
and there's a couple of things that God wants them to do. And then there's one thing that God doesn't want them to do. He tells them, tend the garden, work it. You're going to subdue the earth. You're going to bring order to the world. You're going to fill the earth. Uh, you're going to multiply and fill the earth with other people. And then the one thing that I don't want you to do is I don't want you to eat the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden. They come to call it the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But just like us, when you're told not to do something, it's all you can think about. What is it like? What What's so special about that one tree? And we find them, by the time you get to chapter 3 of this story, you find them standing right beside this tree. And we're introduced to this character named Satan, a deceiver. And he lies to them. And he convinces Adam and Eve that what God was offering them wasn't enough. That God is withholding some light and some life that would bless you even more. And he lies to them. And they eat the fruit instantly. The light and life that God had placed into them, they had lost it. They had lost the light and life that God had given them in Eden. And they didn't even know it. In that moment, the light that they had lost was that innocence that they had. Because immediately we see them trying to hide what they had done. We see them trying to cover up their bodies because they knew something's different. There's now a difference in the world. There's this darkness. There's now something about us that's not right. And they begin to try to hide it. And they begin to try to hide from God. And you see this darkness enter into their life and in, enter into their heart. But they also forfeited over the life that God had given to them because right after that, God kicks them out of Eden. They no longer have access to another tree in the garden that we know as the tree of life. And as long as they ate of that tree, they would have lived forever and thus began this process of death. And all of that happens without them even understanding it. That's why it was called deception. And the sad reality is that same deception happens to every one of us here today. That each of us has been tricked and deceived by the same lie. That what we are experiencing in this world, God is withholding something from us better. And that's why each of us, most likely in this room, just like Adam and Eve, have eaten of that forbidden fruit. That we have decided what is light and life for ourselves. And we have made a path for ourselves. Paul would write about it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He would say, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. The God of this age is that character from chapter 3, Satan, the deceiver. And he blinded their minds and he has blinded our minds so that we can't see the goodness of the gospel of Jesus. When you read through that story in Genesis, it doesn't take long till you get to chapter 4 and all of a sudden you see darkness really into the world. You see Cain take his brother Abel out into the field and he strikes him dead and he murders him in cold blood. By the time you get to chapter 6, there's so much violence and wickedness and darkness that has filled the earth that God decides I've got to cleanse the world, press the reset button and start over with humanity because of the darkness that is within their hearts. And he does so through the family of Noah. And their story is our story. Just like them, our minds and hearts have been blinded to see the light and the life that Jesus gives to us. Because the God who said, let the light shine out of darkness, He has made that same light shine into our hearts, those of us who have given our lives to Christ, so that we could have the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. That's a lot of words to say that in Jesus, there's something 
different. There's something that we experience. Because in Jesus, there is light and life. That's what John's talking about in John 1. In him was light and life. And John's really interesting the way he he talks about the light and life of Jesus because it's a major theme running throughout his whole book that we call the Gospel of John. You get to chapter 8 and there's this scene in the life of Jesus where he is in Jerusalem and he's participating in what's called the Festival of the Booze, B-O-O-T-H-S. Not booze, but booze, all right, tents. It's Festival of the Tents. They had all these tents that they built to remember what it was like when they lived in the wilderness. And one of the things that they would do in this festival is they would light lamps. And this sounds kind of crazy to me, but on the priest's garments were these wicks, and they would light the wicks to light the lamps. And I don't know how you feel about fire being on your clothes, but I'm not totally good with that, so I don't think I would have qualified to have been a priest. But they light the lamps as a part of the ceremony for this festival. And John writes for us in John 8, verse 12, that during that festival, probably during that moment where they're lighting the lamp, Jesus stands up and he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever believes in me will no longer walk in darkness, but in the light of the life of men. Beautiful statement. John writes a little bit later in John 11, when Jesus is at the edge of the tomb of Lazarus, and they're grieving their friend. And Mary and Martha are distraught, and they don't know what to do. Jesus said those words, I am the resurrection and the life. Nobody, uh, excuse me, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever, even though he dies, will live if he believes in me. Jesus said himself, I am light and I am life. And the life of Jesus was something so profound and something so different that when people experienced him, they were either attracted to him or they were appalled by him. There was really no middle ground that we read about in the Gospels. You see all these sorts of people that are drawn to Jesus because there's something so different about his lifestyle that it shocks your system. And if you've ever experienced someone who lives a lot like Jesus, who's truly filled with the Holy Spirit, it kind of shocks you too. You're like, man, that's kind of a different kind of person. They've got a different kind of faith. They've got a different kind of outlook. Could you imagine experiencing Jesus Christ himself in the flesh? You'd be like, I don't know what to do with this guy. He's so loving Yet, he's so firm in what he believes and says to me, but he tells me things about myself that I know I don't need to do, but he says it in a way that I don't want to do him anymore because he's amazing. If you or I were to say the same things, we'd probably get slapped, but not with Jesus. He gets hugged because he was such a unique and different individual. Why? Because he actually lived with the light and life that God originally intended for us. That's what makes him so different. I found this quote online as I was doing some research that I just find really interesting. It says, life is something vibrant and energetic, something strange and shocking and real that had not been seen before in the world. This is life beyond the set of chemical processes currently held by the scientific consensus as constituting life. More than the few struggling years we string together between birth and grave, more than the moments of duty and plotting we experience punctuated by a few joys and horrors along the way. Let me just stop here, kind of make, that's a lot of words to say this. If you've ever felt like there's got to be more than this, there's got to be more than getting up and just going to work. There's got to be more than just running back and forth and doing the day-to-day lives. There's got to be more than masks and pandemics. There's got to be more to it than this. If you've ever felt like your life is just missing something, there's this void or there's this hole or it just feels incomplete. Let's keep reading. Whatever was in Jesus, those who saw it recognized it as something wonderful 
and they dropped everything they were doing to see what it was. When confronted with the shocking, glorious reality of his life, they realized that whatever they had been doing up to that moment was not life, but it was some dim, dark facsimile of it, a withered lie that they hadn't noticed until light was illuminated, uh, until light illuminated their reality for what it was. The life that Jesus himself lives is a life so powerful and inextinguishable that it simply couldn't stay dead even after the might of imperial Rome brought down its worst on him. This is the same life that he calls us, holding it forth in his hand. We look at what he is offering and we blink in confusion trying to understand when he says, those who lose their life for my sake will find it and the kingdom of God is among you and you will do greater things than these. I love that statement where it says, that his life is so powerful, it's so different, that when those who lived among him were presented with it, they were shocked because they realized that what they had been doing was not really living. And I want to tell you this morning that the way that we generally live is not really living. Our minds are being blinded by that great deceiver who wants us to think that all life is about is what we experience here that it's about what we can attain, that it's about the little dreams and goals that we can achieve. But yet we lay on our pillows at night, even if we've achieved all of our goals, and we still feel like there's something more. There's something I haven't done. There's something missing. There's something incomplete here. It's because we're not truly living. See, to be alive doesn't just mean that you have a pulse. It doesn't just mean that you have a heartbeat and you have oxygen flowing through your nose. Being alive means living the way that God intended for us. It's not a matter of do this, don't do this. It's, it's about living the greatest life we could possibly live. Experiencing life to the greatest extent that God intended for us. That's what God imagines for us. And that's what John says he experienced in Jesus. In another, in another letter that he wrote that we call 1 John... He says this, 1 John chapter 1. Let's go to that on the screen, please. Flip on ahead. There we go. Keep going. One more time. Oh, go back. We passed it. We passed it. I skipped through. Go back one more. There it is. There it is. Okay. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon and our hands have touched, This we proclaim to you concerning the word of life. It's this next line that's underlined that I find so fascinating. The life appeared. The life. What life? There have been over 7 billion lives that have appeared. Right? Just right now on this earth. There's been billions and billions and billions of lives that have appeared on this earth. And who knows, there may be millions and billions more that appear. What do you mean, the life? Which life. Well, John is telling us the only one that truly counted, the one in which was lived the way that God intended, the one that shocked you so much when you were in the presence of it, the one that made you realize, I'm not really living. That that Jesus, that's truly living. The life appeared and we've seen it and we testify to it and we proclaim to you that this is eternal life. you got to read between the lines what John is saying here. He's saying, I thought I was living before then I met Jesus. And then I realized I wasn't really living. That wasn't true life. Jesus, that's real living and I want to live like Him. And some of us think, well, I could never live like Jesus. Well, that's not true. That's why God gave you the power of the Holy Spirit. 
to assist you, to change you, to transform you, so that you don't look so much like you, but you begin to look a lot more like Jesus. You begin to talk like Jesus and act and think like Jesus. And before you know it, your life is so filled by the Spirit that God has given to you that your life shocks the lives of other people. And they think, what, what's different about you? What, why do you live like that? Why do you think that way? Why are you so encouraging? Why are you so optimistic? Why are you so faithful? This is what God is offering to us. Because in Jesus, we can experience light and life again. It's this beautiful invitation that he offers to us. It's what Jesus said in John 10 and verse 10, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. It means have it to the full, have it in excess. It's overflowing. You talk about living life to the fullest. It's not about how much money you can get in the bank. It's not about how much stuff you can accumulate. It's about living the way that God originally intended because life lived to the fullest is a life that has experienced Christ in the fullest. Because if we were to experience Jesus in the flesh, we would either be attracted or appalled, but we would all say, now that, that, folks, is living. And he didn't have a dime to his name. He didn't have anything that he took with him when he left this world. And he didn't have really anything that he left behind. But yet he lived to the fullest. And that's what we're drawn to. It's that hole that so many of us are missing within our life. It's that other part of your life that makes you feel incomplete. And so I hope today you'll understand that God is offering you to regain that light and life that He created you with that you forfeited over just like Adam and Eve did. We can experience it again. i got one more quote to share. This comes from the same website. Something I found really interesting. It says, Spiritual formation starts with the acknowledgement that we don't understand the simplest things. Light and dark, life and death, breath and wind, bread and wine, friendship and love. And then we go to Jesus with these fragments, and we watch as he breaks and remakes them for us, putting them together the right way up. And as he does so, through the very material of our lives, we will gasp for joy. This is what God is calling us to. This is life in the fullness. The simplest of things, yet... It's what God intended for us. And it's what we experience in the church. It's what we experience in God's family. These simple items, life and death, light and life, bread and juice, love and friendship. Is that not what we're here for today? So in a few moments when we partake of that supper, when we take out that little wafer and that little juice, and we peel back that layer. It's more than just a little piece of bread and a little drink of juice. It's what God's called us to. It's a reminder that this, even in, the, in its simplest form, is living because it connects us to the One who truly lived. And it reminds us to remove the veil and to open our eyes so that we can truly see the world as God wants us to. That we can experience this life to the degree that He's called us to. So that we're not blinded by the great deceiver who wants to trick us into thinking that what we experience here is true life. No, God has something far greater for you today. So today, if you want to regain that light and life that you've lost, it begins with acknowledging the darkness and the death that's within your life.
It begins with turning your life over to Jesus and saying, I want the light and life that you have, Jesus. I want something different. So if we can help you, if you want to be baptized today, if you need the prayers of this church to kind of reset your life and turn your life back to a different path, and we'd love to assist you as well. If you want to do that publicly or if we can help you privately, please let us know. But don't leave here today the same person that you came. If we can help you in any way, won't you come as we stand and sing?